It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Thank you so much for joining me in my study, my library, where I receive a lot of revelation from God that I in turn want to share with you. And I really rejoice to be sharing with you part three of the redeemed of the Lord. We've laid a tremendous foundation in the last two episodes, and there's been such rich revelation that's flowed from these redemption scriptures that we pulled out of the Bible. But this is going to be the crown of it all. Let's go once again to our foundational scripture, Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Notice that the thing we're supposed to echo, the thing we're supposed to repeat, is that God is good and his mercy endures forever. I think it's a unique thing and a powerful thing that the word good originally was derived from the word God because the two go together to such degree. And one of my favorite scriptures about the goodness of God is Psalm 25, verse 8, that says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. So the goodness of God is best displayed by how he treats those who are not good, who incline their heart toward him in repentance. And then one of my favorite scriptures about mercy is Psalm 103, verse 17, that says, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him. So God's mercy reaches infinitely into your past and weaves its way through all the ups and downs of life. God's mercy weaves its way also into your infinite future and goes right down into the grave if you happen to have to go that route, unless you're going to be alive when Jesus comes again. And then it proceeds out into eternity. So mercy stretches from the infinite past to the infinite future like a heavenly rainbow over your life. Praise God. Because you're one of the redeemed and because you say so, that God is good and his mercy endures forever. Now, once again, let me define what the word redeem means. To redeem means to buy back that which has been lost, stolen, sold, or forfeited. And to be redeemed means to be loosed away from bondage, to be set free from captivity. Now, about 700 years in advance, Isaiah the prophet said so. He made a declaration about the redemption that was coming. And in chapter 59, verse 20, he said, the Redeemer will come to Zion. Zion was a name 
for the city of Jerusalem and also for the people who identified with that city as their capital. But when you read the verses preceding verse 20 in chapter 59 of Isaiah's writings, it depicts the coming Redeemer dressed up in the regalia of a soldier, a warrior, which is probably one of the reasons that the Jewish people were expecting a warring Redeemer that would muster an army uh, and drive the Romans out of the promised land and reestablish Zionism. It didn't happen that way, though, and for a very important reason. See, verse 17, for instance, says he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head, and the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Why? Because truth had fallen in the street, and those who departed from evil made themselves a prey, and truth failed. It was trampled under the foot of man. See? But then it says that the Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. Praise God. Well, he did come as a warrior, but he came as a warrior who would fight against enemies that were spiritual, not natural. He came to fight with spiritual weapons against a spiritual enemy to resecure a spiritual promised land for a spiritual people that would result in the new covenant. See, he came to conquer not the Romans, but other enemies. For instance, he came to conquer sin. He came to conquer satanic control in our lives. He came to conquer the lower nature, the fallen nature. He came to conquer the curse of the law, and he came to conquer the curse of death. All of these are the enemies of all mankind. And he came dressed up as a warrior, yes, because he was going to face off with these enemies. And I love Jeremiah 31 verse 11 that says, the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Now, of course, that could refer to the empires that were bigger and stronger than Israel and how Israel was eventually delivered from the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, etc. Even after 2,000 years of dispersion in the world regathered May 14th of 1948, it could refer to that in the natural. However, I believe it refers to something much more important because when it said the Lord has redeemed Jacob, a name for Israel, and ransomed him from the hand of one that was stronger than he, well, sin was stronger than all of us. It was an undefeatable foe. Satan, the ruler of this world, well, he deceived every person who came into the world to one degree or another. He was a stronger adversary than most people could rise up against successfully and all the demonic hordes under him. The lower nature, that was an enemy that no one can destroy and is an enemy that no one can destroy on their own by their own willpower. And then the curse of the law, the curse of death. Who can escape death by the strength of their own will? It took a redeemer who would rescue us, 
who would loose us away from the bondage of these things. And thank God it had to be bigger than us, stronger than us, overpowering to us so that we could all the more appreciate not only the value of redemption, but the power of our Redeemer and how worthy he is of praise. Now let me go back to the beginning of the shift into the new covenant. When Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. After Mary had gone through a time of cleansing, which was required by the law at the birth of a child, they brought Jesus to the temple, and there was a woman named Anna, a prophetess, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. And she was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this widow was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And when Joseph and Mary came in the temple, she just coincidentally, no, it was not a coincidence, it was a God incidence, she came in the temple at the same time and began prophesying and spoke of this little baby to all of those who look for redemption in Israel, in Jerusalem. Well, again, they assumed it would be a warrior redeemer in the manner of Joshua, in the manner of Gideon and other great deliverers who had risen up through the centuries and millennia to set God's people free. But he did something even more marvelous and miraculous. Thank God. Now let's go to one of my favorite redemption scriptures, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Those two verses say, Christ has, not will, it's a done deal, it's already accomplished. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, I know it's common knowledge among believers that Jesus conquered the curse of sin, the curse of separation from God, the curse of satanic control, the curse of death, but what is this curse of the law? Why did we need to be redeemed or loosed away from the bondage of that? Well, being subservient to the law is spoken of as the spirit of bondage in Paul's writings. Why? Because it was a wonderful thing. It was a good thing to encounter God under the old covenant and to enter into a covenant with him. But by doing that, not only did you come under the fountain of the blessings that were available in that era, but the curses that were proclaimed in that era. So it's not that the law was a bad thing. The law certainly was not a curse. The revelation of the law was a blessing because it gave moral parameters in which the children of Israel could live safe and protected lives. However, with it came the curses that would fall on those who disobeyed the law. So the law is not a curse, but disobedience to the law brings a curse. And if you go to Deuteronomy 27, 26, it summarizes what the curse of the law is in a very succinct statement. It says, cursed is he who does not confirm all 
a double L. Cursed is he who does not confirm all the words of the law to do them. And of course, the Hebrew word translated law is Torah. It's a reference to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they've also been called the Pentateuch. But they contain 613 commandments. 365 of those commandments were negative commandments. 243 were positive commandments, commanding you to do something. The negative ones commanding you not to do something. And Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed be he who confirms not all the words of this law to do them. And so if you kept 612 commandments but failed in one point, you came under a curse. And of course, I'm sure if there was more blatant rebellion, there would be a multiplication of curses in a person's life that would be more severe. But still, the point is, it opened a floodgate. And if you want to know what the curse entailed, read Deuteronomy 28 all the way through. Because the first 13 verses of Deuteronomy 28 are proclamations of blessing from Mount Gerizim. And the people of Israel shouted amen to them. But then from verses 15 through I believe it's 64, 54 verses of over a hundred curses that God said would fall on the disobedient. In fact, he said the curse would track them down. It would overtake them. And it included the worst things that could happen in life. It included dysfunction in families. It included impoverished states. It included um, loss of sanity even. It included being attacked by your enemies. It included all kinds of horrendous, chaotic things that could happen in your life. Poverty and sickness and disease and misery and emotional distraught conditions, mentally distraught conditions. Wow. And that was all underneath the heading, the curse of the law. Now, the new covenant did not make sin acceptable. It made sin defeatable. And there's a big difference because through the blood of Jesus, we can be restored to righteousness. So righteousness is not so much attained by religious works as it is an impartation through humility and repentance and faith. That's why Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us, loosed us away from the curse of the law because failure is inevitable in people's lives and failure was much harder to recover from under the law. But now the floodgates of mercy have been opened because of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Praise God for that. Thank God. Now, let me give three statements about redemption in the new covenant that you need to know and need to hear. First of all, new covenant redemption is intended to be constant. New covenant redemption is intended to be constant or a constant flow, a constant source of redemptive power. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, that's not something that is definable at a certain time in your life. I got saved and that's when I was was redeemed. Redemption is a constant experience of life from that point forward. In him, we have redemption. Not we had, but we have. Present tense. Why? Because the blood of Jesus did not just touch me and cleanse me of my sin 51 years ago. It flows through my spirit every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of my life since that time. And every moment the blood touches me, I'm redeemed all over again, loosed all over again, set free all over again, made righteous all over again, strengthened all over again, filled with the character of God all over again. No wonder no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So redemption under the new covenant is intended to be constant. Number two, redemption under the new covenant is intended to be brought to completion. Because Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which we have been sealed, by whom we have been sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, the day of redemption is a reference to the day of resurrection. When the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he establishes the kingdom of God on earth, and we return with him to rule and to reign. Well, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we have been sealed sealed unto the day of redemption. In other words, redemption is supposed to be brought to completion. It's not a maybe so, might be so situation, but when God redeems a person, he intends to carry you through all the way to the end. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade upon your right hand. The Lord shall preserve your soul. He shall preserve you from all evil. Go home and read Psalm 121. And if you are home, get focused on that Psalm and claim it for your life. The Lord is your keeper. And then number three, redemption under the new covenant is intended to be perfected. It's intended to be constant. It's intended to be completed. It's intended to be perfected. Romans 8.23 talks about how we groan within ourselves. The verse prior says, the whole creation groans in expectation of the manifestation of the sons of God, which will take place at the resurrection. That's when we will be fully manifested in our sonship. The whole creation groans in expectation of the manifestation of the sons of God. And the next verse, verse 23 of Romans 8 says, we groan within ourselves, waiting, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, when you were first saved, your spirit was redeemed completely. And then from that point forward, your soul is going through a redemption process. The only way your body is redeemed is when it's redeemed from sickness or disease. But on the day of resurrection, 
your body will be fully redeemed when it's changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You put on immortality, and from that point, you shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father with a radiant, eternal form. Praise God. That leads me to a scripture where Job said so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, before that psalm was written, Job was doing it. And after all the calamities that came upon Job had scarred his life, think of it, 10 children dead in one day. I cannot imagine the horror of that. I cannot imagine the pain of that. And then he's attacked on every side by different armies, the Chaldeans, the Sabians, different ones came and killed his servants and carried away his camel and his oxen. And then a disease hits his body and he's got sore boils all over him, terrible uh, sores oozing with pus, so much so that he was unrecognizable to his friends. Uh, He had been so disfigured by the disease And then on top of that, they blame him for it. And of course, God said he rejected their counsel. But at the height of his grief, his sorrow, his misery, his pain, he said this in Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 26. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were engraved or inscribed in a book that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pin and lead forever. So Job didn't know it, but God answered that prayer. His words were inscribed in a book, and his words were engraved in the rock, because the Bible is a solid rock eternally that we base our lives on, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pin and lead forever which is how they preserved words for future generations. They would pour hot molten lead into the engraving in a rock and it would preserve it. For He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the last day on the earth. And after the skin worms destroy this body of mine, he said, in my flesh, I will see God. Job said so. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. And if he could say that, you can say it. At the height of his misery, he said it. At the height of your trials, tribulations, and heartaches, you can say, I know my Redeemer lives. He's going to come. He's somehow going to bring good out of all this bad. He's going to somehow seize the evil things that have happened in my life and conquer them in my behalf and bring me forth victoriously, loosen me away from bondage. Now, let me give you a forecast of the future. Isaiah 51 verse 11 says, Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain Gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Of course, that's talking about Zion Eternal, the city, New Jerusalem, that will come down out of heaven from God, which is Zion in an eternal sense. And we, the redeemed of the Lord, are on a pilgrimage back to Zion. And we will return with singing and with joy and with gladness. 
and we will sing the song of the redeemed that you find in the book of Revelation. When the Lamb of God took the scroll from him who sat on the throne, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb of God, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And Revelation 5, 9 says, they sang a new song, the song of the redeemed. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. One day we'll sing that. One day we'll rejoice over that. Because we, the redeemed of the Lord, have the right to sing that song. Now that's the completion of a three-part series on the redeemed of the Lord. And I pray, I hope that it's been a tremendous encouragement to you. And if you want to go deeper into it, I encourage you to get my book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. You can order it from my website, shreveministries.org. And I believe the chapter on being the redeemed of the Lord will enhance this revelation even more. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.